It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Jackie, you take it here. Should I be forgot and All right, uh, Caroline, now you come in. For all Langsine, my dear. For all Langsine. Oh, now everybody take it together with vigor. And the Tom Sumner Program. But during this period of time, we lost many heroes, local heroes like Reuben Burtz, UAW legend, Dr. Nathan Bertley, former superintendent for the Flint Community Schools. And also, we lost city workers that provided a level of service that made us all proud inside the city of Flint like Betty Wildman, who was our transportation director for more than two and a half decades. We named the facility in which she worked in, in her honor, making sure that we would never forget those heroes who gave us a level of service. Also, people like Roderick Duncan, who was our deputy treasurer of the city of Flint. And we grieve many, many more of our friends and loved ones. But I do want to take a moment and pause to really remember a great Flintstone. My friend, my colleague, Commissioner Bryant B.B. Nolden, former Third Ward City Council person, First District County Commissioner, and the Director of Burston Field House. He did so much for our community, and his vision for the north side of the city of Flint 
and Flint Burston Fieldhouse will carry forward his legacy. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to this pop-up edition of the Tom Sumner Program featuring Armchair Politics. And joining me for this 2022 Year in Review edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Merry Christmas, Tom, to our panelists. And last but not least, and and somewhat at the last minute, and I apologize for that, <laughs> uh, East Village Magazine consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson is joining us for this uh, pop-up round table. Good thing we're virtual. I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend call me just recently uh, from Nashville, and he had a couple of other friends on the line, and he wanted to to link up for like a Zoom conference, and I was in bed, (laughs) and and he says, God, what's the matter with you? (laughs) You look look terrible. So I'm I'm kind of glad to be doing audio only, and and so everybody understands how this works. We're actually recording this the day after Christmas, but it will air. It'll be streaming on the website um, this coming Wednesday, um, which is the 28th of December, and it will uh, start at 6 a.m. and and play around the clock until uh, New Year's Eve. So oh, there'll oh, be a, a couple of days we that people. Be good, then. Well, we'll. I think if if we just do like we've always done, I think we'll be fine. Um, although it's going to be a, a little less formal than that. Um, we opened up with uh, a, a few remarks about some of the people that passed away this last year from Flint right. Mayor uh, Sheldon Neely from his State of the City. Uh, yeah, I recall the speech. Yeah, and. Um, and I thought we'd talk a little bit about his uh, state of the city message and and his election. Now, what I've done is I've, I've made a list of things. I, I haven't scripted it out like I have done in the past, and and so people understand, you know, what this is. Is I still had the studio set up, so I did a couple of pop up editions of the show. One for Thanksgiving to kick off the holiday season, and. Uh, I think I did one on Halloween, and I thought, you know, probably should bring armchair politics back one more time for a year in review. Ah, yeah. And so I made a list of some of the things that were big headlines during the the last year, and and we'll we'll touch on those, and and maybe not in any particular order. Um, I thought I would mention... uh, uh, because uh, because it was recent, um, the passing of B.B. Nolan. Um, yeah. He's so young, 57 years old. And I, I, I just, I just want to say in memory of B.B. that of all the people I've met doing this show, he was the most public-spirited person I've ever met. 
I, I, that's yeah. a good description of him, I think. Yeah, that's, that's my impression, too. I've known him for a while and, as I say, committed to so many things around town. No scandals, no fights, no um, shenanigans of, of any kind. He just, he absolutely believed in Burston Fieldhouse and his work as a city councilman and then later as a county, uh, on the county board of commissioners. Um, he He just... He really was a true public servant, and I, and I don't know of anybody who ranked higher in that description. Nope, that's true. That's true. That is really dedicated to a that. community, and uh, it just feels pain. Like there's just this painful, there's this painful broken heart, this painful gap in the community. The idea of this place without him. And, and yes. you know, when I first read about his passing um, and and heard about it, I, I I just had Billy Joel in my head, you know, singing "Only the Good Die Young." Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's true. Yeah. If I might add uh, my perspective on BB. Yeah, please. He was. I know this now. Most people know that I'm Republican, but he has never, never disowned me. He's always treated oh. me just like I was a friend of his. Uh, he treats everybody, whether you live in Kyle, or you live in Goodrich, or the city of Flint, downtown, whether you're black or white, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're you know, educated or non-educated, he treats everybody the same way, with dignity and respect. I have never seen such a man. That's great. Yeah. And as what a result, our country... And as a result, our country is moving in the right direction, moving into a pluralistic country. We have some problems we've got to tie up, but with people like um, B.B., our nation can do nothing but get better. Yep, that's, that's, that's well said, Henry. And I, I wonder yeah, if they're going to name either, either some part of Burston after him as they redo Burston Fieldhouse with those new... Uh, new funds from the Mott Foundation. I, I, I presume his name will be there in some way or another, uh, I would guess. I would support uh, that. Paul or Henry, do you guys know a little bit about who Burston was? I mean, I've heard, but I was curious. If I, they changed the name or took away. Hmm, I don't know. That's a good question. That is a good question, Jan. And you would think that we would all be pretty familiar with that as well-known as Burston Fieldhouse is, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And it's been there for uh, a long time. Um, another person I want to mention, because he was a frequent contributor to this panel, is uh, Woodrow Stanley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In fact, the last time I saw him was, was uh, the program you did at the... Uh, McCree Theater right after Election Day. Um, mm. And that's the last time I saw Woodrow and when he was doing the program. Yeah, that was Election Day a year ago. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was a year ago. Yeah. Um, mm. But, uh, and, and, uh, and of course, uh, the mayor mentioned um, Nate Bertley, who, who was a, an incredible uh, leader in, in Flint. <clears throat> But also, he died of COVID, right? Didn't he die of COVID? I think so. G given the date that he passed away, I, I believe so. that's what I believe I heard. Yeah, 
and oh, wow. um, and of course the um, uh, other name that he mentioned um, that that stuck out for me was uh, Ruben Burks. Yeah. yeah, another COVID victim, I think. I, think I believe so. Right. I think you're right. Wow. I wrote a speech speech for Ruben Burks once, and in the process, huh. I got to know him a little bit, and he was. Uh, Boy, he was he was just a regular guy in every kind of way, but he, you know, had accomplished some very big things. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, um probably uh we usually start with a bunch of quotes and I uh <clears throat> was looking around and and you know, unfortunately, as we're recording this, a lot of media outlets haven't done their year in review things yet. So when I was scrambling to put things together, and and also I had a, a computer problem earlier in the year and lost uh, some of my old um, armchair politics scripts, and I used to go through those and pull oh. things oh, that we'd, we'd talked about. So oh. I didn't have that either. Um, but... Uh, I, I found uh, a few quotes that um, that uh, that were a lot of fun that that kind of spoke to the kind of year it's been. Um, here's one: I hold it to be the inalienable right of anybody to go to hell in his own way. <laughs> oh, wow, there's a good one. Huh. <laughs> Oh, I like that. Anybody have any thoughts on who might have said that? I'm trying to think of the possibility. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Tom, that that could be the time you did the introduction to your Halloween show in (laughs) Michigan. (laughs) Other than that, I don't know. Uh, It wasn't uh, Donald Trump, was it? it No. Could it be Oscar Wilde? No, but but you're on the right track, Jan. It was Robert Frost. Oh, Oh, my God. My man. Yes, that's my man, too. Uh, you know, he wrote uh, the shortest poem ever written, Robert Frost. It's about the cat that sneaks across the city, Chicago. Oh. I don't remember mm. the exact mm. name. Uh, but Robert that's considered Frost. the shortest poem ever written. I, saw, I was thinking of Hemingway's shortest short story. <laughs> mm. of, I know uh, that one. That's right, yeah. yeah. For sale, baby shoes never used. Oh, yes, yeah, the saddest short story. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Now here's one that. No, we're I've... going to hell in our own way, huh? <laughs> well, whether we are or aren't, we have the inalienable right to do so, according to Robert <laughs> yes. Frost. <laughs> I love that. And and here's one I'm that. I'm feeling a little shell shocked, so I'm 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 ready to consider how I'm going to get to hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but that's not difficult for most of us. Well, you know, you know, I, I always, I always te- tease Henry that the last time we went to hell, it was the whole road was paved with Trump signs. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, here's 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 a quote that that I thought would be appropriate for uh, um, some Trump followers to to take to heart, uh, especially given who said it. Everyone has the right to make his own decisions but none has the right to force his decisions on others. Hmm. You will not believe who uh, said that. I thought I read uh, that someplace. Yeah, I don't know. Rudolph Ju- Rudy Giuliani. 
No, no. Even more surprising <laughs> oh. than that, it was Ayn Rand. Oh, 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 oh okay. Oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, that girl, that girl. And you know the way the way that she has been interpreted, you would not expect her to make that point that none has the right well, to force his decision she was on others. Well, kind of adamantly individualistic, though. Yeah, yeah, that's, it, that's, it makes sense once you you think it out a little bit. But you yeah, really her, her, her whole free enterprise market economy stuff. I, I guess I can see where she's yeah. coming from on that. Yeah. yeah, I can see where she's coming. Yeah, she picked her own way to go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and here's one that was uh, that was kind of funny from the other side of the aisle. It is a well-known fact that reality has liberal bias. <laughs> mm. huh. Oh, boy. Uh, Gee. Good Lord. That was not uh, Samuel Clemens, was it? No, but but you're okay. on the right track, Henry, because it was in fact a humorist. It was Stephen Colbert. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> well, oh. that would fit. Uh, hmm. uh, let's see. Um, here's one: uh, the short memories of the American voters is what keeps our politicians in office. Say that again. Say that again. The short memory of the American voter is what keeps our politicians in office. Yeah, I kind of, mm. kind of agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we want to know uh, who said that. Uh, who said that? Um, I'm tempted to say. Uh, I'm going to guess George Will. My smile off the wall guess. No, it was a different Will. Oh. It was Will Rogers. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the way. <laughs> that's the way. Yeah, yeah. Trying to think of yeah. Will Rogers. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that would fit him. And, uh, and, and here's one that uh, um, is, is kind of an as, as, as expected, but it's from somebody in Michigan, a go- or somebody who was from Michigan. A government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take from you everything you have. Mm. Uh, Governor yeah. Snyder. Snyder. No, earlier. Jerry Ford? It was. It was, in <laughs> fact, Jerry Ford. <laughs> oh. oh, wow, Jerry Ford. So did you all see recently people have been replaying his speech where he pardoned Nixon? Uh, you know, and my husband was like looking at it and he goes, that guy was kind of like spineless. But... Uh, this what you just said is a pretty powerful statement by the old football player. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> you know it and and very Reagan esque. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it sounds more like Reagan than Jerry Ford in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It does. Yeah. But Jerry Ford was an unusual man. He went to college yeah. in the thirties, I believe. And mm-hmm. there was a black player, I think on the Michigan team, I read the story several times. And so they were traveling to one of the competitive cities around the nation, don't remember where. But they wouldn't let the uh, the black player sleep in the same hotel. They gave him some And Gerald Ford quit the team 
Oh. This was back in the 30s, guys. Wow. This is when you, yeah. uh, wow. you, you, you saw the consequences wow. from this kind of action. Well, I've always argued that. that Jerry Ford was maybe the most normal person to be president in a very long time. I mean, compared to so many of the others who you know have these huge egos and, and ambitions, yeah, yeah. that Ford was just, yeah. I, again, normal in the best sense of that term. Well, one of my, yeah. one of my favorite uh, Jerry Ford quotes is, I'm a Ford, not a Lincoln. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> well, I, well, that I think I've got a political cool. button with that slogan out somewhere yeah, <laughs> in my collection. Uh, but he couldn't ski, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> he could do all of the other things, but he couldn't ski. Yeah. Although the funny but thing was, for, mean, for for a guy his age, he was pretty pretty athletic. Although yes, every he time was. he stumbled, it, remember uh, was it Chevy Chase on Saturday Night Live made a the standard skit of Jerry Ford falling over the wastebasket and everything else. But relatively speaking, he was probably a fairly athletic guy for someone his age as president. Yes. You know, in light of what's going on with Trump right now in the J6 committee, um, Tom, I don't know if you even want to go with this conversation, but I wonder, what do you guys think that Ford did the right thing to pardon Nixon? Tom, maybe you don't even want to go there, but... Hmm. You know, I think... But I'd like to say... I like to say the American people, the unique creation of this country and how its constitution was being perfect. And it shows that it is playing out the will for a pluralistic nation. Even though all of the the people who created it did not perceive this. But I, I I think he did the right thing. You don't yeah. want to completely uh, desecrate a man who, a woman who is at the highest position in government. Cause that well, you know, spells. when he when he pardoned Nixon, I was a young firebrand, and I was pissed. You know, I was same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it just it really I was just infuriated that he pardoned him. But like looking back on it, he felt like the nation needed to be healed. Yes. That was his theme, and, 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 that's, and then the, years later, remember, he got the, uh, Ken, the JFK Profiles and Courage Award from the, the yeah. Kennedy family on that, for that very reason, and I, frankly, I think it probably cost him the election in 1976 because of that, but I, again, like you, Jan, I, I was very angry when it happened. Well, and he hindsight, was, it might have been a wiser move for the nation. And he yeah, was deserving yeah, was of that uh, recognition um, for the very reasons you just mentioned. I mean, it was a real courageous position. And America was a very different place then. It was. And the idea of a president being formally charged and potentially jailed for high crimes and misdemeanors, for lack of a better term, um, it it would not have been palatable in the end. However angry people were with Nixon... Now, when you try to apply the same, uh, we're looking at the same thing all over again. In some, in, in know, many ways, like, worse. I, to be, in yeah, fact, I compared to Watergate. I thought the kind of things we've seen in January sixth and the, all the lead up to that, strikes me as dramatically more, more damaging than Watergate ever was. I, I agree. That's what I'm. Saying. You know, I I think that the Americans learn this sensitivity from what happened to President Lincoln's wife. When Lincoln died, she was penniless. She had nothing. Ah. Um, 
Yeah. And she was uh, like a pauper. And well, wasn't, wasn't, she in, story. wasn't she put in an asylum for a short time because of mental Her health son, issues? I yeah, she had that too, yeah, but, yeah. but she was not provided for by the government of the United States of America. And to, mm -hmm. to me, that was, that was ugly. Well, in fact, that uh, was true. I think, Henry, that was true up until Harry Truman's time. Truman thought he was going to have to go back and work in a, in, in a uh, haberdashery shop after he was president because he, di he didn't have much to fall back on. And then it changed after Truman, I believe. But before Truman, I don't think there was much to a fallback. But for we, don't, we don't want to treat our people, uh, desecrate our people who have held the yeah. highest offices because you won't aspire to people to uh, do what is best and right. And just for the American people, there you always got to aspire to a higher ideal, just like the Constitution. Yeah. Is, uh, well, aspire I to a higher I, ideal. You wouldn't be surprised to hear me say, Henry, that I wish that the guy who had been in that office, number forty-five, would have aspired to a higher ideal. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. You know, I uh, mean, I, feel yeah. I understand. I feel like the more that we hear that, I mean, it's like it was totally, totally amoral and and corrupt and so in that sense the this the the scope of it is almost breathtaking the more you hear about it but i did want to say something about ford i mean i think one of the things that i'm weary of right now is just these endless cycles of re retribution and counter retribution and attack and counter attack you know from both sides i i just like there's got to be at some point it feels like it'll never stop. Like this, and that wasn't you know the I mean? mood of the country at that time. And right, not then. And the U.S. had a much different reputation and image around the world than it has now. And I, I would add that that in Nixon's resignation speech, he said in no uncertain terms that he was resigning for the good of the presidency. That's right. true. And I think yeah, that, and yeah, I think yeah. he meant that Jane, despite Yeah, I do too. Despite yeah. all of the things that he did wrong, a lot of them had more to do with covering things up and a lot of the things that were being covered up were not nearly as as dastardly as uh we like to think of the the Watergate episode. Yeah, and, and could, could you could I you mean, imagine Trump resigning under the same circumstances? I you know, no, I mean Trump. Would he would he would attack. He would blame everybody else uh, before yeah. he would resign. This I is mean, what the American people. What? Go ahead, Henry. Yeah, this, this is where the American people have to rise above the fray to make our country noble. To make it. Be the light on the hill that the framers intended it to be, and for all of us, all of us who love America, who love the United States, who want to be here, who will never leave here, no matter what happens, they, they that ideal needs to rise and be um, penetrated into the brains of our young people. The nobility so aspect. The nobility yeah. aspect. Yes. We're yeah. not going to get it from Trump, my friend, but yes, it sure would be nice. Well, let me let me share these last two uh, two quotes that I that I pulled up because they kind of tie into what we're talking about. This one, um, in in particular, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable, 
and to give an appearance of solid uh, of solidity to pure wind. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That was good. a wise man. Good quote, good quote, but I interesting. A woman. Huh. <laughs> that, was, uh, well. that, was, that was George Orwell. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. And then yes. finally, and, and this one is a lesson that should have been heard throughout the ages, but um, mankind will never see an end of trouble until lovers of wisdom come to hold political power or the holders of power become lovers of wisdom. Mm, I'm going to guess Plato or or Aristotle. Yeah, Socrates. That was Plato. Okay. Yeah, we're in the right path, yes. You know, I mean, that's kind of reassuring to think that those guys thousands of years, was it 2,000 years ago? 2,800 years ago. We're we're grappling with the same issues about human nature. Isn't that reassuring in some way? That's true. Yes, I mean, some of Aristotle's insights still are pretty valid today in so many ways. I know. (laughs) And yet we heed those words (laughs) so poorly, (laughs) even after after all these years. Um, I I have a, a... a quick thing, and I don't know if I shared this on, on any uh, of the armchair politics episodes back before <clears throat> Labor Day when I stopped doing the show. Um, but this sort of sums up 2022 for me. I watched, I think on YouTube, Eric Mays being walked out of a city council meeting. Um, at the same time, I was hearing about two people in the county clerk's office facing <laughs> charges over election. Well, one was election screw up, and the other was uh, uh, some weird, uh, right, uh, inappropriate uh, performance of a wedding or something. I'm sure it was the county. And then, yeah. and of course, that was uh, John Gleason. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and then I thought, well, things are a little crazy here. And and then I learned that one of the Republican candidates um, in the primary for governor here in Michigan uh, had been was being investigated and charged <laughs> yeah. for his participation or attendance at the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Yep. And his polling yep. numbers went up. Yes, I remember that. Oh. <laughs> and so I thought, well, this is just this is just too crazy. Maybe, maybe they're doing things a little better in Washington. So <laughs> I tune in to the, um, the Senate uh, confirmation hearing for... Um, uh, Justice uh, Jackson, well, uh, Katanji uh, Brown Jackson's confirmation <coughs> hearing, mm-hmm. in time to hear Ted Cruz ask her if babies were racist. <laughs> oh, yeah, remember that? And oh, I, yes. I thought, boy, you know, as much time as I spend with people like you talking about uh, 
politics and and the things that go on uh, in uh, government and in uh, public life. I thought I, I'm just I'm going to kick back and watch something you know that's just not controversial at all. So I tuned into the Oscars. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Just in time to see, you know, actor Will Smith basically pimp slap the the uh, host, <clears throat> comedian Chris Rock. Yeah. And I I figured at that point that, um, well, I, I just have to refer back to the quotes and and I think um, uh, who was it. Um, Oh, I lost the quote. Um, oh, uh, the Robert Frost quote about uh, yeah. going to hell in your own way. That's right. And, and yeah. that the whole country seemed to be <laughs> making their choices. Yeah. Um, and, and that was kind of the year that was. Yeah. That's true. You know, uh, can, I so, just, uh, can I just come in again? Yeah. You were talking yeah, about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And all that they had learned and all that transformed down to today, our law, whole legal system is based on their kind of logic. <laughs> and then you say, well, uh, we don't heed even, after all of that, we don't heed any of this great stuff that they passed down to us, how to do this, how to do that, and so on and so forth. Um, I think everybody thinks, if you get elected to Washington, you can think better than anybody else, and you can outthink anybody else, and uh, you can get away with it. Even if people have been caught in this predicament in the past, you have the solution, and you would get away with it. And, and I think that people are always trying to push the boundary. That is the condition that the human nature has, maybe, or maybe it's the way that some of us are. No matter what we do, well, democracy is a very fragile thing. You know, I think we're learning yeah, that now. Yeah. That we we always assume mm -hmm. that it's you know our system was solid, and nothing could change it. But it's a uh, it's a lot more fragile than we realize sometimes. Can, Can you sure imagine is. all yeah. of the people that go to Washington and they still get involved in all of this stuff? They steal money, they um, <clears throat> uh, make uh, salacious uh, quotations to other people of different genders of whatever you want uh, to call it. Yeah. And yeah. that's always there at the forefront of helping us to make the decisions that we need. And we really don't need all of that. We need uh, how, how to run the country in a judicious way. The things that Aristotle and uh, Plato and Socrates were seeking, and many others who are uh, Diogenes and all of those guys like that, seeking for an honest man at that time, or an honest woman. But uh, it, we don't seem to, to rise above that to create a model for all of us to follow. Maybe there's no, no model. It is depressing, Henry. It is really depressing and, and exasperating. I, I don't know about you guys, though, and I don't know if I have enough evidence to base this on, but I've been feeling lately a little bit of hope that there is a turn that there is a bit of a turn and a bit of a weariness with what you've just described um, and that people are kind of fed up with it all. 
And I think so. Am I, am I I, I'm, I'm feeling the same thing, Jan. I, I, I'm I, feeling the same thing as you, Jan. It's a small, it's a small feeling, and there's no guarantee that it's yeah. going to last. But it, it, it has been yeah. there in a similar way in the last, I don't know, six months or so. Yeah, just wondering. Well, you know, and, I mean, do we do we dare to be uh, to have even a scintilla of optimism about all this? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we always do going from one year into the next. I remember uh, at the end of 2020 when everybody was sure that COVID was going to be, you know, long gone in the new year. I <laughs> know, mm, I know. <laughs> and, and it just wasn't. Um, and, and, and hopefully um, we can muster up some optimism about the new year because I think there are some things that are changing. But it's a little bit troubling to me when when we talk about people like Plato and Aristotle and, and Socrates, when when these guys would have conversations with other people, and if somebody suggested something that was a new idea or a new concept, you know, their response was, hmm, let me think about that. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have that same conversation today, the answer is, let me Google it. Right, or, or, or <laughs> yeah. let, me give, let me give you my, my yeah. tweet response in, in 147 yeah. characters. <laughs> uh, and, and there are people who think uh, that if they think fast and they talk fast and give out a quick solution, they're smart. Mm-hmm. But please yeah. beware. <laughs> I, I remember, uh, you know, my dad when I was uh, a young boy, if I asked him to spell a word, he would hand me the dictionary. <laughs> oh wow! He said, "Look it up." <laughs> and why would we do that now? There's spell check. That's right. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, does I, anybody I, I, does does anybody know anyone's phone number? Um, I don't know my own. own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some truth to that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's all in the well, all on the cell phone. You know, I just I read an art, I read two articles last night that got me in the funk, which was one of them was by John McWhorter, a linguist who's African American linguist whose work I've been following. I kind of admire his thinking, uh, and he was talking about how we didn't need cursive anymore. We didn't need to teach kids cursive anymore, and what is stupid. And I mean, he was more elegant in the way that he argued it. And I was just feeling so depressed about that. They were saying, you know, that for us oldsters. Being able to write in cursive is—it's it's becoming like a secret code. Yeah, it's, exactly. You know, I've seen that same that same comment made. It. It's going to be a secret code for young kids. They won't even know what yeah. it is. And and I was thinking, I was—I've always, you know, I'm a writer, literally and and figuratively, as you guys are too. And I I was so I was so proud of that skill of mine when I was a when I was a kid, you know, and um. And, and the second article I read had to do with the death of the personal essay. You guys know that's my stock and trade, baby. You know, that's what I've been doing <laughs> for years. I love mm-hmm. writing personal essays. I've had a lot of them published and everything. And and they were talking about sort of who needs a, a, a personal essay anymore because everybody just says everything they think and feel on Facebook or whatever, you know, platform they use. So nobody really needs an essay that they would sit down with because... They write, everybody writes these little posts here and there. So, so I was thinking our way of thinking about things and even literally our way of writing about things 
is really changing. And I'm telling you, man, I feel out of. I feel like I'm a 20th century person. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not 21st century at all. You know, I thought yeah, I know what that. you're saying, Jen. I, when I like, when I keep hearing about how Elon Musk is taking Twitter into the dump dumpster. Frankly, I would. I think we may be better off if it's not there. I, I when it first I came, agree. I thought you couldn't express any decent idea, and I, I forgot. Is it 140 characters or 240? But whatever the number yeah. is, you can't express any idea in any depth with a, a, a quick little snarky comment on, on a thing like Twitter. So I think it's it's done some real damage to our to our dialogue about all kind of issues. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So if, it, agree. if it goes if it goes by the boards, I, I won't miss it at all. Yeah, I, I, I won't. I uh, yeah, never, I don't use it anyhow. I never I adopted it to begin yeah. with. And, but, I, but I did see somebody said something, uh, I, I can't remember if it was a, a Facebook meme or a comedian late night or something, that said uh, Elon Musk was, was going to change that 140-character rule and, and open it up to like 2,000 words. And Ooh. and rename it yeah. Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, you know um, what I like about being able to write with my own hand is that it doesn't require any electronics. All it requires is a an, a, a writing utensil and a piece of paper. And I, I I've always loved the sort of simplicity of that. You know, it's um, I, I have a record of my thoughts that I produce with my own body. I, I mean, I make my hand move and it makes sentences. And I just, I just like, I love that. that that's something I've had well, my I've, whole life. And, and people don't do it anymore. When that, and when it that, helps you to formulate your idea, to build upon your right, idea, the to build your thinking process. Very, you, that's right. As yeah. you are putting the letters down and, and making letters form words and words form sentences and sentences form paragraphs and so on and so forth. There is a beauty to that that yes, helps you I to agree. develop mm-hmm. your idea, mm-hmm. the end point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I agree that, with you. I, I like writing in cursive too. When that, but you, uh, and I thought nobody did it better than the people who wrote the Constitution of the United States. Well, that's what I was just going to say, Henry, is when that discussion about cursive writing and whether it should be taught in schools or not um, came up a while back, that was one of the arguments that if you didn't teach people how to write in cursive, they wouldn't be able to read those documents. That's right. That's true. And Uh, I thought about that the the other day. I was was binge-watching... Christmas movies, and one of my favorites, yeah. which is uh, Miracle on 34th Street, there's a scene where where Doris, uh, the I'm not even sure what her position was uh, with Macy's, but she was the one who put on the parade and hired Santa and so on, and she ends up writing him a note, and they show the note, and she had the uh. most beautiful penmanship, uh. and and I was looking at and I was thinking, Anybody who's never been taught cursive cannot read what the screen is showing right now. That's right. That's Isn't right. that interesting? That is so interesting. And, uh, and no, it was a weird place to be reminded of that, but but I couldn't help thinking about that. That is interesting. But American education process, <clears throat> the people who formulate the platform for it, now realize they made two mistakes. 
following uh, the a nation at risk, all of this stuff that's in uh, nation at risk. <clears throat> but they gave kids computers or, or uh, calculators. So kids don't know how they come with fingers, you know, up to fourth or fifth grade, you know, some of them are better than that. And that was a mistake, and education is reversing that right now. They also uh, discourage incursive writing. That is all being reconsidered now. Huh. Uh, I think that the people found out that they made mistakes here. And yeah. so kids, kids have to be able to count in their heads rather than depend on a calculator. You won't always have a calculator, but your head will always be connected to your body. That's you know, you, right. You, you, I you like notice that, that very often at checkout counters at places like McDonald's when a kid is trying to make change. Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden it gets very difficult to decide. They go to that five fingers. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea that what you just said about your head is always going to be attached to your body. Like, what you said really makes a point to me that what are the things that a, a child can learn to do themselves, you know, that they have, what's the term for it, instrumentality, or they have agency to do things. They know how to add and subtract, multiply and divide. They know how to write a sentence with their own hand, you know, without electronic um assistance I, I i don't know are we just totally old fogies about this you think or no we, we make you know we, we go through life every generation every decade tries to change from the previous decade and, and we we get on a trend line and we follow that until it a slippery slope or it ends then we got to do something different and we realize some of the mistakes that we make uh, in cultures as we look back upon it, they don't they don't have the value that they we had hoped that they would have. And then this is true with mathematics. Mathematics is very important. And the great mathematics mathematicians are not in America anymore. They're in India right. and China. Yeah. Yeah. North Korea yeah. Uh, yeah. and oh and Scandinavia. But uh, <clears throat> but so we have to get back we have to reformat our education system so that kids learn how to uh, do the basics in math and do the basics in English, learn how to communicate. So the question would be that someone would ask is, really? Is that really necessary? Do they really have to do that to know that if they can use a calculator? I mean, the, 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 argue, the people who would argue that point that you and I are making, Henry, would say they don't need it. They'll use their abilities for something else. But... I worry about what? that. Yeah, would well, do what? Uh, you know, the most no. critical thinking happens on these platforms. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. However, I, as you say that, I'm thinking that the, the average 12-year-old could probably teach a lot of us about how to deal with a computer <laughs> sometimes. Oh, my yeah. God, I know. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm having, you know, I was staying in a hotel in L.A. for 15 days recently, and I couldn't even figure out how to do the digital clock. I had to call the front desk and have some guy come down. I swear to God, this guy had to come down to show me how to change the digital clock. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I am I am a mess. <laughs> well, you know, I, well, math, was, you know, math was never my best subject when I was in school. And um, I didn't 
I didn't really learn and understand math or its relevance in everyday life until I was on the road as a musician and we had to figure out agents' commissions and divide up the power. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I got, so I got, there was a youth play. Yeah, there was. And, uh, and it, it reminds me of, um, I, I met a uh, Chicago police officer many years ago and he had worked security for Mayor Daley, the first Mayor Daley. And he said they used to say about him that he didn't know how to add or subtract, but he knew how to divide. He sure did. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Mm. Well, I don't know how you want to how how you want to proceed with this. I I have a list of things that that we can consider as topics, but I think maybe the place to start and and we can we don't have to go local, state, and you know national in in any particular order. Um, I have saved some holiday-themed X-Files, though, for toward the end. So, um, but let's uh, <laughs> let me let me start this way and and give everybody an opportunity to you know maybe pick out a couple of things that you thought were the big stories in 2022. Okay, hmm, sounds good. Okay. I'll, I'll start with the January 6th commission for a big one for, from, on the national level for openers. I think that's, whether it leads to, to criminal prosecutions, I don't know, and I'm, I'm not even sure whether it's wise for the country one way or the other for a variety of reasons, but but I think it historically it, it establishes a, a, an incredibly unusual event that uh, took place on January 6th and the, and the months before that. So I, if I had to pick one story, that might be my top story. Something we talked about on Armchair Politics as that was uh, unfolding earlier in the year was the possibility that that somehow, rather than jail, that there be a, a, a prohibition against Donald Trump running for office. Again. That's a possibility. Although it, my my it's only fear about to any be of that, talked about. yeah, my only fear is that if that turns him into a victim, he's going to pull out the crying towel and say they're all out to get me. I guess like I say I got divided feelings on that. There's a lot of me that says I'd love to see him go off and serve time for that. But uh, on the other hand, I could see him. Uh, I could see a letter from the uh, from Leavenworth jails from the, from. Uh, <laughs> from Donald Trump, like Martin Luther King. <laughs> I, oh I can, my God! You know, I, I can imagine oh. something like that coming out of that situation, mm-hmm. where his loyalists stand by him, even if he serves time. I don't know. Oh boy, um, I w- I agree. I would agree with you, Paul, about the J six committee. Those yes. hearings over the summer, and then what's just come out, like the details on Cassie Hutchinson's transcript. Um, where she was, uh, I would to me. It's, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know if you can legally call that witness tampering. But it sure sounds like ga- like gangster techniques that they were laying on. Yeah, it and really does. That, that, <laughs> and that was emanating from our White House. That was emanating <clears throat> from our White House. You know, I to me the the idea that all of this came out. We I guess we all kind of thought that it. You know that it was probably going on, but um, it's just. Well, you know, no, my my whole image of that January sixth change when I first saw it, I thought it was it was just kind of a, a, a mad crowd that went crazy and did some oddball things. But as the facts developed, it sounded like there was such a a contrived plot 
uh, that had uh, gone on for some time. It was much more convoluted than I, I thought at the beginning. So it, uh, and again, it certainly appears to involve the White House on some level, at least. So you don't uh, have to be a partisan to agree with right. what both of you have said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think that, I, don't, uh, I was hoping that I'd go through life without living in a historic time when something like this happened. Yeah, because yeah. A, a thousand years from now, if we're still in place and we're still uh, our nation is a platform, uh, we will read about this. Kids, we'll read yeah. about it. Uh, yeah, and they would look at it as a period of, like, happened in the Civil War or the Revolutionary War or the death of uh, President Lincoln, something that's very sober and sad and... And, well, and if you uh, want to, if you want to simplify this whole thing, the the purpose of the committee was to find out and prove, if possible, did the president of the United States yell fire in a crowded theater? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's really what we're talking about. You know, this isn't this isn't a free speech thing. This is incitement. Yeah, in fact, not only did he yell fire, he brought the gasoline and the matches. Uh, that's uh, in addition to yelling fire, so I, I think that was that's that's part of it too. But guys, there's always speculation. As long as he doesn't admit it, you know, there's still room for uh, questions. You know, uh, but it's a sad. <laughs> if I were the president at that time, I, I would never follow the events that happened. In, in, 21 and 22, 2021, 22. That was about yeah. the time all of this stuff started. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it led, oh, to, uh, it led to a sad end. Henry? Every time yes. I see those Capitol Police officers, the four of them sitting in the front row of all these hearings, like even that last one where, you know, the last one that we all saw last week or whenever right. it was. It just, it's like heart-wrenching. The looking at those four Capitol policemen, uh, what's his name? Harry Dunn, I think, is the big black guy, and um, that Hispanic guy that has that has left the force now, I think, because he had physical issues from it. I mean, those guys just represent just a heartbreaking violation of of all you know of what we thought was taken for granted that you would show respect for the police. Yeah. Those guys those guys were protecting the United States Capitol. You know, I I mean to me that that symbol the symbol of those four guys sitting there with all the damage and PTSD and everything that they have is just heartbreaking to me. I uh Lordy. And so much of it seems to have been planned out ahead of time. That's that's what, as I say, it wasn't just yeah, a, the mob that went crazy. It seemed like it was planned no. out ahead of time, they came armed and so forth and, and they yeah, were well aware no. of that fact. And and the idea that Trump kept saying about Mike Pence, I mean, I think it's a, a miracle that something terrible didn't happen to Mike Pence. Well, they say was was it forty feet away from the crowd at one point when he was running down to the to the secured basement? Uh, I think they were crazed and bloodthirsty. I think they would have grabbed his butt. Well, it, it certainly I, seems I mean, to be the case. Exactly. Well, see, I, we still have a little bit to go. They have not concluded all of this, and it has not no. been tested. All of the evidence that they have have to be tested. 
and uh, I'm going to lay off of right being accusatory right now, but I have I feel very uh, uneasy uh, if we don't consider this as a nonpartisan issue. This is no, very serious. Although well, one fear I have, Henry, is that for the next Congress, I'm I'm really afraid we're going to see uh, a congressional committee come back with, with the attempt to undo so much of what the January 6th committee has done and, you know, raise doubts about some of the testimony and, and all yeah. of that. I think we're going to see an attempt to do that. Well, I think the American people, the, you know, the American people are extremely interesting to me right now. Now, they could raise yeah, all kind of hell uh, mm -hmm. one way or the other. Uh, January 6th is nothing. But notice how the American people, and it is in the American people, not in the political parties, not in the tough guys, or the kind or any of those kind of people, but it's the American people that allow all of this to, to happen. Notice to all yeah. of the black uh, uh, people of color that occupy positions of authority and responsibility and spokesmanship and colleges, university business, and so on and so forth, and nobody's talking. Nobody's getting mad. That's the American people. That's the difference. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know who they are or what they believe in, but uh, somehow there's a stabilizing force in all of this because one there side... Is, Henry, is, although on the other hand, though, I'm thinking of this past election where on one hand, we all, at least I took great solace out of the fact that so many of the election deniers lost the election and so forth, and yes. it looked like yeah. that was kind of going to... On the other hand, the worry I have, though, is that still... Forty percent, forty-five percent of the public voted for people who did deny the election or supported yeah. that idea. So, and they're not gone; they're still out there. So, I've got right. divided feelings. Yeah, I felt good about how things turned out in November, but there's still an awful lot of people out there who are denying the election, supporting Trump, and denying what happened on January sixth <laughs> and all the rest. And they've yeah. not disappeared. But you know, I think one of the keys. Now, remember, I. When we were criticizing President Biden for being a stupid, a yo-yo, uh, a yeah. jackass, a uh, non-knowledgeable person, I said, you guys be cautious. He knows what he's doing. And he, is, he thinks well. But look at him today. When he walks to the podium, he has no notes. And he yeah. walks there and calmly states what his position yeah. is and supports yeah. it with good yeah. supporting yeah. Statements. Now, yeah. you didn't see that last year, <coughs> but if you were under the same kind of criticism and pressure, and and even it may have he may have gotten that from his wife too, but uh, notice how confident he is, how certain, how smug, yeah. uh, and that's what bothers me. And, and and I'm on the underdogs side. Well, we have to. Maybe Henry, Henry. Maybe there's that kind of Jerry Ford-like quality about him of after the yeah. turmoil of Trump. I mean, he's he's not Mr. Excitement in many ways, but it, that maybe that is exactly what we need right now. Well, stand by for I a mean, minute. We've got a uh, okay. we've got a break for hey, uh, top of the hour show okay. ID, and uh, we'll bring part one of this pop-up edition of Armchair Politics. Uh, 
We'll bring part one to a close and start part two coming up in just a moment. And and we'll pick it up there. Um, and, and I will say this one thing that uh, I thought was very interesting was the uh, Secret Service guys that were with Mike Pence on January 6th were calling loved ones to say goodbye. Yeah, I know. That that thought haunts me. Anyway, we're going to take a uh, very short break, and we'll be back with uh, Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Jan Worth Nelson right after this.